let's see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. And welcome back to Under Review. I'm Greg. He's Steve. We are recording after the July 4th weekend. Um, some interesting things have happened in Rangerland, um, starting off with the uh, Pavel Buchnevich and Jacob Shruba filed for arbitration. Um, no surprise for the Pavel Buchnevich one. I think we kind of saw that happening. Seems like everyone in Pavel's camp is uh, wanting a bridge deal so that he can get paid when he hits UFA. Makes sense to me. Um, Truba one, not exactly sure, um, but I guess it's not that much of a surprise to Steve. So I'll let him take over on uh, these two topics. Yeah, um, I think I'm feeling better than you today, Greg. But uh, I can, I can. Yeah, hear you definitely you. are. You're not, you're not feeling 100. percent So well, um, no. I'm happy that we're able to record. But yeah, the Truba thing. Um, I think it shouldn't come as a surprise that Truba filed for arbitration. Because for players that are arbitration eligible, restricted free agents, it's sort of an insurance policy. Um, the Rangers have gone through this in previous years with Chris Kreider and Derek Stepan. Um, I think Mark Stahl as well. Uh, just because a player files for arbitration doesn't necessarily mean they will not come to an agreement. Uh, the last time the Rangers actually had a case go to arbitration and have the arbitrator uh, decide was... Nikolai Zherdev in, I think, 2009. Um, so I'm not worried at all. Uh, it's just, like I said, it's just an insurance policy for Jacob Truba in case it doesn't work out and he has an arbitrator, you know, picking a number for him. But I have every, uh, I have no doubt in my mind that uh, Jeff Gordon and Jacob Truba will figure it out before the arbitrator, uh, before the arbitrator case is, uh, is happening. Yeah, I mean, I would assume so. It seems like, um, I mean, like you said, it's it's not, you know, this isn't anything. This isn't anything that we should be super concerned about. Um, it's pretty common. Um, like you said, the last time that arbitrator actually, um, we actually went to arbitration and had an arbitrator actually settle the case was Sheridan. So that was that's so long ago. It's not even in the. It's it's not even in our, our recent history. Yes, but that, that was under the previous CBA. That's how long ago it is. So yeah, so I'm not I'm not concerned. Um, but the good thing about this is that it provides for a second buyout window, right, Steve? Uh, yes. Um, teams that have players file for player elected arbitration get a second buyout window, which starts, uh, if I remember this correctly, on the third day after the last buyout case is determined. Uh, it lasts for 48 hours, and the buyout case being determined, it can be uh, two things. It can be the team and the player coming to an agreement, like signing a contract, or the arbitrator uh, ruling on the case. Um, okay. But yeah, the second buyout window gives Jeff Gordon an interesting option that he didn't have before. Um, there has been talk about you know Brandon Smith being bought out, which would save us uh, about $3 million, uh, in, in in cap space this upcoming season. Uh, which could help uh, to fit everything under the cap because at the moment we only have eight million in cap space with four restricted free agents still left. Yeah, and I'm glad you actually brought that up because I think that's the next thing that we probably are going to discuss at some point. And it's uh, not that it's a major issue now because we can we can be over the cap until the start of the season. But having by said that, by ten percent, right, right. So. Um, it's not the end of the world if we're a little bit over the cap, you know, currently, but before the start of the season, we're going to have to get under the cap. So we've got, I mean, let's, so let me get this straight. I remember that Pavel is, Pavel Bushnevich is a restricted free agent. They've got Jacob Truber as a restricted free agent. Um, I think uh, Brendan Lemieux is also a restricted free agent. Yep. And Tony D'Angelo is the other one. Anthony D'Angelo, that's number four, and uh, Lemieux and D'Angelo are not arbitration eligible. And they're so, not arbitration eligible. Okay, got it. They, they lose a little bit of, of uh, leverage during negotiations. Uh, and it gives uh, Jeff Gordon an interesting 
uh, a possible uh, an interesting option with these two um, because if the Rangers really are uh, struggling to get under the cap, then they could um, they could talk to Lemieux and D'Angelo and just ask them to sign their offer sheet, uh, their um, qualifying offer. Sorry, uh, the qualifying yeah. offer is a one-year deal where the player gets a five percent uh, increase in salary, um, and next year both players will be arbitration eligible. So it would give them one more year. Um, to get that extra leverage, um, so that yeah, might be worth. That might be worth it for them. It could be worth it for the players. It could definitely be worth it for the Rangers because it, it keeps them relatively low. I think D'Angelo would come down to nine hundred and six thousand, and Lemieux would come to I think eight hundred and ninety thousand. So it's it's both under one million for one year, and like I said, it would give both players an option next year to go to arbitration and then get their bigger contract. Um, I think I and I think if I'm if I'm if I'm either player if it's one player I think that could would be would could be persuaded to do that would be more D'Angelo, and the reason why I say that is because I think that one more year, especially with the defense shaping out the way it is, where I I kind of think next year he's either going to have he's either going to be traded to somewhere where he's going to have more more minutes or he's going to get more minutes. Um, on the Rangers based on what he, he did last year. So this could be a nice way to bet on himself to say, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to knock it out the park this year, and I'm really going to you know, have some leverage in negotiating. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, that's the word I was, I was waiting for for you to mention, betting on himself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that could be an option. Uh, Pavel Buchnevich, you mentioned it already uh, a little bit earlier. He's 24 years old at the moment. Um, he would hit his uh, unrestricted free agency years in three years when he's 27. Yeah, so basically Panarin. Yeah, so that means if he signs a two-year contract with the Rangers, a bridge deal, um, he would get to negotiate in two years for a much bigger contract with a higher salary. Um, so again, that's a player that if he bets on himself, and I think he will, uh, he would like a short-term deal to, in two years, uh, try to get a bigger contract with a higher salary out of it. Instead of right. signing, signing a five- or six-year deal now where the salary is set throughout that period. Yeah, and, and the, the thing is, everything that we've heard is that the Rangers want to sign him long-term. They don't want to do a bridge deal, which makes sense for them. And, you know, they've, they've definitely been burned so many times by bridge deals that they're starting to – you're starting to see that with things like with um, the um, – the Zabanajad deal, um, you're Brady seeing it with the, Brady, with the Brady Shea deal, exactly. You're starting to see that the Rangers are starting to realize these bridge deals are not exactly helping them, that they're actually hurting them long term. So they're trying to get as much value early on as they can. And even if the contracts don't live up to the complete hype, usually by the time that the salary cap goes up and that player blossoms into an, a, an average NHLer or basically what they basically signed the kid for, um, the money doesn't look too bad. So it, it, uh, it, I would say it's, it's usually a safer bet than a worse bet because, even, because as the cap goes up, even if they're not living up to their potential, they're still relatively cheap players. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's, that's a good point. Uh, if you look at a team like Nashville, uh, uh, some people will say, oh, but they never won a cup, but that's not what I want to talk about right now. Uh, Nashville actually um, has one of the best defenses in the league. And the reason they are able to afford it is because they did not uh, have their players sign bridge deals. They committed early, uh, gave their play their players long-term deals straight out of their entry-level contract. And you get those players for, at first, a little bit of a higher cap hit. But when, when the, the seasons progress and you get further along in their contract, both with the cap going up and the player improving... Uh, that that contract turns out to be a steal, um, right? Exactly. The, yeah. the 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 thing is, the trick is with this, you have to be able to identify which players to bridge and which players to sign long term. And you can you can shoot yourself in the foot if you sign a player long term, like Nikita Zaitsev in Toronto, for instance. Um, that, that that is an example of a, a player that should have been bridged. But if you want to look at players that shouldn't have been bridged. I mean, look no further than the Rangers. Uh, Chris Kreider, if the Rangers did not bridge Chris Kreider, they would have had him, uh, if he would have signed a deal straight after his entry-level contract, 
there's a possibility that he would be uh, under contract for another three years at probably 5.5 million. And that would have been great value. And there would have been no talk about trading Kreider at all. Because in that situation, under that contract, he is a very valuable piece and a very valuable addition to the team. Yeah, and you can even say the same thing for guys like uh, Ryan McDonough or Jacob True, or Jacob True, uh, Ryan McDonough or uh, JT Miller when they were on the team. Um, maybe their trade value would have been better. I think Derek Stepan is another one that that we can mention in here. If if he signs a long term deal right after his entry level contract, he is signed until he's thirty at maybe five point two million, which for the player he is is actually good value. It's much better. That's value outstanding than, value. Derek Stepan at five million dollars. Yeah, deal. It's much better value than now at six point five, uh, uh, on a contract that takes him into his thirties. So that is that is the, uh, the the tricky thing with bridge bridge deals. You have to be able to identify which players to bridge and which one which ones to commit to long term. I agree. I, I just think that more 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 than likely bridge deals um, kill you more than more than they uh, they help you. And committing long term to players um, out of their you know um, from their ELC is more beneficial. There's more times you're going to be right than wrong. Um, and even the ones when you're wrong. Uh, example, you know, Zaitsev, uh, look, Toronto was able to move him. So, yeah, yeah of course, of course. Yeah, you, these you guys are movable. Move you can still move them. Yeah. A guy like Jimmy Vesey was the perfect example of a player you bridge because you don't know what you're going to get. And, you know, he's not very likely to turn into a top six player. And now, uh, uh, three years after um, making the NHL, you realize that Jimmy Vesey is a solid player, a solid third line player, but that's not a player you you want to commit to you 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 want to commit to right after the entry level contract, which was last year. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, you're you're 100 right. If you're gonna bridge somebody, um, you you bridge someone who's on your 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 bottom six or your third pair D. Uh, you don't want to bridge someone who has top six potential. You don't want to bridge someone who has top pair in the um, potential on your defense. Yeah, exactly. And uh, just to circle back quickly on Lemieux and D'Angelo, uh, them signing a one-year qualifying offer, uh, I think that that is completely different than a bridge deal because you get them, you basically extend their entry-level contract for one more year. Um, and with a guy like Brendan Lemieux, who doesn't have that much experience in the NHL, I think it's very likely that he will sign his, his qualifying offer. With D'Angelo, it might be less likely. Maybe he really wants to sign that like two or three year deal right now. Uh, but like I said, with both players being one year removed from arbitration eligibility, it gives them uh, it gives them a reason to sign this qualifying offer, bet on themselves, and then go into negotiations full of confidence twelve months from now and get that big contract. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I think the thing is, you can make a case for either D'Angelo or Lemieux, um, you know, betting on themselves, so to speak, and 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 both of them have a good case for saying, let's take a qualifying offer, let's go into next, let's let's kill it for one more year, and really try to, you know, show the organization and the NHL that I deserve to be pay, to be paid, um, be, you know, upwards of a few million dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and 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 there are other options that that Jeff Gordon is probably looking at as well this offseason to uh, to to get rid of some salary. Um, I think the three most likely candidates are Chris Kreider, Vladislav Namesnikov, and Ryan Strom. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I would even throw. Um... I'd throw Smith and maybe Shattenkirk into that mix um, simply because I think one person on this defense is going to be moved. Um, I think Smith is the most likely candidate. Um, you could bury him in Hartford. I don't know what his trade value really is at this point. Um, buying him out now that we have that buyout window again is another option. So I think all of these things Gorton is going to start to explore. And a lot of it depends on what happens with his, the negotiating with Pavel Buchnevich, what happens with negotiating with Jacob Truba? Depending on where these figures line in, and, um, you know, Jeff Gordon could turn around and say, "Well, who can we flip now? Who yeah. can we flip?" And I think um, if I had to be a betting man, I, I would say that Vladdy is probably the most likely gone, simply because at four million dollars, a lot of people can afford that. 
and he's very versatile. You could put him on the top line if you needed. You could put him on the uh, third line, the fourth line. You can slot him all over the place. Um, he's a very versatile piece. It's not like he's a one-trick pony and he can only play one thing on one line. Um, he's really good in all three zones. He's very good at carrying the puck. He's, he's, he's good defensively. He can produce offensively. There's a lot of things he can do. He's kind of, you know, he's not great at anything, but he's good at a lot of things. So I think there are teams in the NHL that would, would jump at, at, at getting Vladdy, especially for $4 million on a one-year deal. You're not going to get very much from him. It's basically a salary dump to try to get rid of $4 million. But, you know, maybe you get a second round or a third round pick or something. Yeah, I mean, if you can get a third round pick for Jimmy Vesey from Buffalo, I don't think it's out of the question. You get a third round pick for Nemesnikov. And maybe even a late second round pick, depending on which team you're dealing with. Um, um, a team like Edmonton would maybe be interested because Nemesnikov has proven in the past that he can play well together on a top line and, and add some some points. Plus, of course, the, the, the defensive side of the game, that's that's his strength. Right. Um, so Nemesnikov on, on McDavid's line to add some, some, some defense and some stability to that line while you have a scoring winger on his other side, that, that could work very well for Edmonton. Um, yeah, and, and because it's a one-year deal, a lot of teams will be interested because there's no long-term commitment there. Yes, exactly. I'm glad you brought that up because I think sometimes we have to think about um, – I think sometimes fans get caught up in, oh, well, this player only has like one or two years left. Like who's going to want that person? Matter of fact, I think there are a lot of teams, especially if you're a team that's in the playoff hunt or you're a team that is a playoff contender. Those are the kind of guys you want to chase because it's a guy that you can say it's low risk. I take him for a year or two. I flip a second-round pick. It's whatever. It's yeah, I, I just need I need I need a guy to fill a roster, can fill mm-hmm. a role. Those kind of things are, are easy to replace. I don't have to worry about committing long term dollars. Most teams would rather have somebody for two years than have somebody on the books for six, seven. Yeah, exactly. And if you uh, if you look at a, an example from last season with the Rangers, Adam McQuaid, for instance, he was signed for one more year. Uh, we acquired him to add some some veteran presence to our to our blue line, and. You basically had two scenarios. Either you make the playoffs or you don't. And a player like McQuaid or a player like Nemesnikov this offseason can be the difference for a team like Colorado between making or missing the playoff. Same with Buffalo or Edmonton or Arizona, maybe. Um, Worst case scenario, you miss the playoffs and you flip them at the deadline for for a similar pick. That's what the Rangers did with McQuaid. We gave up a fourth-round pick. We acquired a fourth-round pick. That's exactly right. Uh, it's, it's, It's very low risk. It's very low risk, which is why I think that um, out of all the players that are on the, tra- uh, the chopping block, I think that Nemesikov probably has the most interest simply because I think he has the lowest cap hit and he has the most versatility. And I think that he's, 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 only, he's only a one-year uh, gamble. The next where people might want to argue that Kreider has the most potential, the reason why I say I put Nemesikov as more likely to be traded right now than, than Kreider is simply because I think – the, with Chris Kreider, there's no question that Chris Kreider is a more talent is a more talented player out of everyone on the Rangers roster that they're looking to move. The thing is with Chris Kreider is that I think most teams are unwilling to pony up what the Rangers might want for a return for Chris Kreider because I think the Rangers do know that Chris Kreider is one of those players that when you trade him, you're you're going to feel it right away. You're going to notice a big difference in your team. Um, he's going to make an impact wherever he goes. Um, especially if he signs somewhere else and makes an impact there. It's just one of those things where talent like that doesn't really hit that often. And mm-hmm. so I kind of think that some teams are hesitant to, to want to give up all of that, especially when he's not signed to term. So there's a little bit more risk for the team that's buying on Chris Kreider. Is he the fit? Is he going to stay long term? Um, does he stay healthy? I mean, that's a concern too. So all these little things can bottle up to a, a bigger risk. But it's it's definitely a higher reward for a guy like Chris Kreider. So it's more risk, but more reward. Um, yeah. You know, Chris Kreider could be the difference in a team like Colorado. You know, making it out of the first round, or maybe making it to the, to the you know the conference or even the Cup finals. Yeah, yeah, and and Chris Kreider also has a, a limited no trade clause that we should not forget about. Of course, um, he can he can block a trade to I think eleven teams, which still leaves two thirds of the of the league in play, but we saw it with uh, Phil Kessel, who blocked the trade to Minnesota, 
right. and then ended up being traded to Arizona. So it doesn't necessarily mean that that the trade is impossible, but it is something to take into consideration when talking about Chris Kreider. And I, I just, I just, I don't see Chris Kreider um, staying with the Rangers. I think we have seen Chris Kreider's last game in the Rangers jersey, um, simply because. Um, he was already um, discussed at the trade uh, at the at the draft uh, in in certain trade talks, um, and and Gordon is the type of general manager that if if he doesn't see a future for a player, then he's not going to hold on to them. We saw yeah. it with, we saw it with McDonough and Miller last year. We saw it with Hayes and Zuccarello this year. Uh, if a team is interested in Chris Kreider. And Gordon can get something for him that he really likes, then I, I would not be surprised to see Kreider being traded before the season starts. I think that's a good point. Uh, you know, you're right. I mean, and I think it's hard to, you know, just to reiterate what you're saying, it's hard to walk back once you've kind of put him out there. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I do think that there is going to be a little bit of, well, if you guys don't believe me in the future, why do I want to sign here? Um, not to say that that's impo- not to say that you, you can never come back from that because obviously you can, and this is a business, and I'm sure Chris Kreider and his agents do know that. Mm-hmm. But in the same breath, you know they're also kind of telling you that we think that whatever you want dollar wise won't match up with us long term here. So let's just kind of cut the tie now while we can, not drag this on, which I think is a smart idea. So uh, where would Chris Kreider grow? I mean, you said he can block 11 teams. Can Colorado? Do you think Colorado is one of those teams? I highly doubt it. If I was Chris Carter, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be amped as heck to go play with Nathan McKinnon. Um, yeah, I don't think Colorado is on his no trade list. Uh, playing with McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, uh, and the young players they have coming through in the uh, like this season with Kill McCarr and and Tyson Yost, uh, there, there's just so much uh, potential there. And it's yeah, a relative. I mean, that, 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 that team is stacked and they still got I think they still got like $20 million in cap space. Uh, yeah, so they so they could really make um, and they, they can make things happen. They can they can easily afford Chris Kreider uh, in terms of cap space, uh, which is a good thing for the Rangers as well, because if they can trade Kreider without taking any salary back, that would go a really long way in uh, getting under the cap and maybe even get some cap space to make a different move. Uh, maybe a player to replace Chris Kreider. Yeah, I completely agree. Actually, I think that's a very good. Uh, I think that's a very good point. Um, and speaking of from that, I just don't know what. I don't know what a realistic return would be for Chris Kreider right now. Um, I, I think a late first and a, a B prospect, or a, a second round pick and a better prospect. I think those are the packages you should look at. I don't see a one-for-one trade happening with Kreider. Yeah, I don't think a one-for-one trade is, is, is going to happen. I also don't see um, the player that's being returned for Chris Kreider being an NHL player. I think when Chris Kreider does eventually get traded, it'll be for futures. That's my kind of guess. And by futures, I mean a first-round pick, a first-round plus a prospect, mm. um, maybe a really good prospect plus a conditional second. Um it can, you know what I mean? And by conditional, I mean like, you know, you if make the, the comp. Yeah, it could be a second that could conditionally be a first, depending on what happens. Like, Gorton's very big on these conditional picks. So, yeah. something like that would not surprise me. Um, I think these are the kind of things that you could see Chris Kreider being moved for. It'll definitely be futures. It won't be something that the Rangers are going to take and plug into the roster tomorrow. That's my guess. I think the Rangers are looking at the roster they have. They're looking at, they're looking at, um, Zabanajad and Panarin and Kako and Kravstov and Hedl, and they're thinking that they've got the majority of their top six wingers here. They're not looking for another top six winger here. They're looking for a guy that they can plug in and groom down the road in case, you know, for whatever doesn't work out, or just have future assets for the future of this rebuild. Because remember, the idea for the Rangers here is not to just be good in. 2020 is to be good from 2020 to 2029. They want to own the 2020s. That's their goal here. So they want to stockpile as much, you know, ammunition as they possibly can. So moving Kreider for another future is just another bullet in their chamber. Yeah, and and what you just said is uh, is is a really good point because with Jeff Gordon, who was in Boston, 
and uh, and and the the crew that he is he has surrounded himself with, including Nick Bobrov, um, there's this philosophy that they want to be contenders for a decade. It doesn't matter that it, it doesn't mean that you make the final every year, but if you look at Boston, they won in 2011. They made the cup final in 2013 when they lost. Was it 2013 when they lost to Chicago? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, and um, they've they've made it. They've made it to the playoffs. I think every year, almost every year, and even in the playoffs, that they make noise. They make it to the second round or the I third. I think there's only one year they didn't make the playoffs. I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's fine, you know. But but for the last decade since 2010. The, the the Boston Bruins have been a have been a contender almost every year. They they've been they've been part of that group of teams every year that has been you know fighting for the cup, not just to make the playoffs, but to make some noise in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, they've been to they've been to three cups and they've won one. Yeah, and and that's that's great. If look if 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 you if you tell me now that in 2029 we have made three cup finals and we won one, I will sign that. I will be so alive. Yeah, I, I don't even have to win the other two. If we make the cup final three times, that that's amazing. Yeah, you lost two, but I still remember the uh, the 2014 uh, cup run. There are so many great memories from that year, despite not winning it. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I mean, if we if, if we if, if if you tell me right now that the New York Rangers are gonna are gonna be in three cup finals in the 2020s and we're going to win one of them i'd sign for that tomorrow all day long i don't need to have a dynasty i just need to have a competitive team that i can hang my hat on and hopefully make a run one day because you know something in today's in today's uh world of sports there's so much you know um there's so much parity and teams are so on they're so even so let's be honest here that Winning at all is really fucking difficult, and I think sometimes people have a hard time understanding that. They think that like there's this magic formula that you could wave a wand, and all of a sudden you got this championship team, and it's gonna and it's gonna happen. It's like it doesn't work that way. There are so many things that have to go your way. You have to stay injury free. You have to have some luck. You have to have some other teams honestly get injured. I mean, like, and and your pathway has to be pretty clean. You have to have some favorable matchups. You have to have some puck luck. There's so many things that kind of have to go your way sometimes to win a cup. And like a good example I could think of is the, is the you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning last year. Did anybody think they lose in the first round, let alone get swept by Columbus? No, mm-hmm. no. But and then but you go look at you go look at Vegas who, you know, and Vegas, you know, the house always wins in Vegas, right? And, and who are the odds for next year? The odds are on Tampa Bay winning the whole thing. Why? Because they're a talented stacked team. And you roll that same team five years in a row, there's a decent chance they're going to win one of them. Yeah, and, and this is something that was brought up when Tampa Bay was swept by Columbus, when people said, oh, winning the President's Trophy doesn't mean anything. And yeah, of course, it, not the majority of President's Trophy winners have not won a cup. However... The, the first overall spot has still won more cups than any of the other 15. Of the 16 teams that qualify each year, the first overall spot has still won the most cups out of all 16 uh, spots. Wow. In, in league ranking. Yeah, and, and I think it's 8 out of 34 or seven out of 34, something like that. And then I think fourth overall is second with like five or six wins. Wow. Just, just and it doesn't mean that finishing fourth overall will give you a better chance than finishing second overall. That's not how it works. Um, but in a sport where it's a best of seven series, um, anything can happen. Um, yeah, and especially in hockey. And hockey is even more yeah. of a sport where, where you know, a, a bounce here, a lucky break here, and that's the game. Yeah, and and you can have a you can have a goal called back because your skate your skate blade is not touching the blue line as you skate into the zone, and yeah. it's it's some people say it's a game of inches. I think it's it's closer than that in most cases. Yeah, you know, here think, in Europe, I think it's a game of centimeters. Here in Europe, we we use the, the metric system millimeters. It's a game of millimeters sometimes. Uh, yeah, well, I said centimeters, but millimeters. Yeah, you're, yeah, even 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 tinier. You're totally right. It, it's such a game of like little little differences here and there and sometimes a little break will make a difference and, and you're totally right it, it, and I think sometimes we have to you know encapsulate that to to people who, who listen to hockey and, and, and watch hockey and follow it yeah um, the best team doesn't doesn't always win man and I know I know that's such a cliche thing um, I'll give you here's another example and I'm going to par- parlay this to a different sport is I'm a big baseball guy right so um, in the 1990s 
you know, the best team, in my opinion, was was probably the Atlanta Braves. And I'm a Yankee fan. I'm telling you that that pitching staff the, the Atlanta Braves had in the '90s was stupid good. They won one World Series, and they've been to they 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 were in the World Series in um in '95. They were in the World Series against the Yankees in '99, uh, and I think in '90. 90, no, not 98, 90, 90, 99. That wasn't 2000. I'm forgetting now. Was, they, they, played the, they played the Braves a couple times. 96, mm. oh yeah, 95, 96, and 99. That's right, because they lost. That The 96 was when the Yankees won, and 99 is when the Yankees won, and the Braves won in 95. Point is, that, 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 that 90s Brave team was stupid good, but they won one World Series. And, you know, sometimes just the, it's just the way the, the way it works, man. Sometimes you just don't get the breaks. Sometimes another team just has your number. It just, we just, it, it is, it is like that sometimes. So the best team doesn't always win, man. Um, the only time I can ever say the best team usually wins, usually wins is the Patriots because uh, they just, they, they've got some magic up there that I've, that I don't think anybody's been able to figure out yet. But aside from them, like the best team doesn't always win, man. Sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know. The ball doesn't bounce your way, you know. Sometimes the puck doesn't bounce your way. It's just, just the way sports is. Yeah, and, but, and and I look, I have seen pucks go in the net because they bounce off the boards while while the goalie is behind the net to control the puck, and it just trickles into into the empty net. I've seen some weird goals in the last twenty five years of watching hockey, man. It's it's the, the stuff like that you cannot predict. I completely agree. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think you're. I think that's spot on. Yeah. Um, what you can so, do as a general manager is give your coach and your players the best chances to make it work. Yeah, and, and, and that's exactly what the Rangers are doing. They're, what the Rangers are doing is they're lining up their franchise with as much ammunition to go out there and compete. And what they're doing is smart. They're saying our window is not now. Pittsburgh Penguins are on the decline. The Washington Capitals will eventually be on the decline. They're saying – you know, the, the Columbus Blue Jackets, they're already on the decline. So it's like we need to be that next iteration of the team that's coming on up. We need to be there with New Jersey, with Philly. We need to be there with them. Yep. Or with, uh, you know, the Islanders if they, you know, figure things out. Yeah, so. and, 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 I'm, and I'm happy that two years ago Gordon made the decision to, uh, to go this way because we could have we gone another three, four, maybe five years by trading away our first-round pick and – trying to compete and getting bounced in the first round. And before you know it, you are basically the, um, yeah, what the, the, the Edmonton Oilers where you, 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 you fall into this pit that you never get out of. Even with the best player in the world, they do not get out of that pit. I think I, you're even further, further than that. I think, I think at that point you're probably Ottawa. You're probably Ottawa because you've got no future. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Ottawa went for it with Duchesne, and it just backfired. It was an awful deal, um, and now they now they are rebuilding, which is probably two years too late. But um, yeah, it's it's in in hockey with with the salary in the salary cap era, you have to go through the motions. You you this is this is not soccer in Europe where where. A team like Real Madrid or Barcelona can just spend three hundred and fifty million every year and just and just be the best team year in year out. It it just doesn't work that way, and that's one of the things I like about American sports: the closed league, the salary cap, and the draft. It 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 gives you a completely different experience of teams teams falling and climbing. But Tampa Bay won the cup in two thousand four. And five years later, they had two two top three picks in a row with Hetman and Stamkos. Uh, yeah, and, and there's there's a lot of parity in the NHL, and I think that's why people have to understand that the Rangers not only could turn this thing around quickly, but you know that doesn't all. But that in the same breath, that doesn't also mean that they're going to win a cup either. It means that by turning it around quickly, is that they're going to build some talent. They're going to go out there and be exciting and competitive yeah. every night, and then you're just going to throw the chips out and see where they land. I will say this though to to round to round it up and and before we move on to the next subject, um, not every team with a top three pick will win a cup, but every team that won a cup has had a top three pick. Mm, in, that's in, in general, there, there there might be one or two exceptions, but in the salary cap era, you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins with Malkin and Crosby and Flurry, uh, Chicago Blackhawks with Kane and Taves, uh, uh, the Kings with Dowdy, uh, the Bruins are. 
a bit of an exception because Tyler Sagan was a rookie when they won the cup, but but still, you know, they, they still had some high picks. Phil Kessel was, I think, a fifth overall pick. Um, if you look at Washington, you know, they had Ovechkin, uh, they had Backstrom, who was a, a fourth overall pick, almost top three. Uh, I think the St. Louis Blues, they did win with a top three pick because they had Jay Bo Meester, but that doesn't really count. Um, yeah, I can't really count. I so, think St. Louis and same, Boston are two exceptions. The St. Louis Blues and Boston are your exceptions in the last 10, 10 12 years. Before that, yeah. you had, of course, the Red Wings. But the Anaheim Ducks had Bobby Ryan, the Carolina Hurricanes had Eric Stahl. Right. Um, that's, it's, that's just how it goes. And like I said, not every team with a top three pick will win a cup, but every team that won a cup had a top three pick. It's, it's the whole not every animal is a cow, but every cow is an animal debate. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a good little nugget there, and I think that's you know, and that just makes you more excited for the fact that the Rangers, for once, actually got some luck and were yeah. able to land themselves yeah, exactly. you know, a, a top and two pick. It's by no means a guarantee that we will win a cup, but it's the best chance we have at at, at contending for one. Yeah, what 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 it does is it just lays a foundation for you to start building with. Yeah. it gives you it gives you that initial big chip. Now, what the Rangers have to go out and do is say, okay, we've got ourselves Kako. Can we go and get ourselves, you know, five more elite players to play with them so we can just knock this thing out of the park? Which they're starting to do. They go and they went out and they got themselves Artemi Panarin in his prime. Um, Kravtsov, if he hits on all cylinders, could be another elite player. Um, could they go out and go get another player like a Gusev or something? I mean, could they go out and, you know, could could some of their um, defensive prospects like that Keandre Miller's or the Jacob, or, you know, Jacob Trouba is a good player, but Keandre Miller, could he, could he possibly be, you know, a, a stud defenseman, like yeah. a Seth Jones type? Maybe. I mean, all these things have to line up right. Yeah. But yeah, you're totally right. You're, you're just setting yourself up for good scenarios to happen. Exactly. I mean, and especially on defense, if you're able to bet on several horses, there's a pretty good chance that one of them will turn out great. You have Miller, you have Lundqvist, you have Rikov, you have Rayunanen. Uh, you still have have a bunch of others uh, uh, like Matthew Robertson. You drafted now. Zach Jones has, has entered the organization. You have Adam Fox, who, who's a highly touted prospect. And Adam Fox, the NHL yet. Yeah. yeah, Adam Fox. We traded for him. We we added him to the to to the organization. So you have so many options on defense. If if one or two uh, uh, work out, that, that's that's great for this team. And yeah, you you bet on several horses. You know, you 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 increase your chances of winning. And by right. winning, I mean a player hitting hitting his ceiling. Right. Um, but the player you just mentioned, Nikita Gusev, now that's an interesting name because I did not expect him to be available, but it looks like he is. Yeah, it, it does. And um, even from a post that I saw today of what the asking price was seems absurdly low. It seems like Vegas is almost giving him away. Um, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Rangers in 2015 where they had to trade the rights to Ryan to uh, Carl Hagelin away because they just couldn't afford him. And we got Emerson Edom and I think a trade-up in the second round in return. Yeah, that was a, that was a horrendous trade. Was it? A we had, we had, we had, no, no, no. I mean, oh, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to step in here. It was not a horrendous trade. It was fair value for the situation we were in. You can, blame, you, can, you can blame Glenn Sather for putting us in that situation. That's fine. But once you're in that situation, what we got for Carl Hagelin is all we could have gotten. <sighs> I know. Because it's, it's, just, it's just not, it's not, I know, it's not equal value. No, no, no. But you shouldn't look at Carl Hagelin as a player in that trade. You should look I at know, the rate, not having cap space, and having Carl Hagelin and Derek Stepan, that, and they can only sign one, which means the other. And it's the same thing with Gusev. Gusev is worth way more than a second-round pick and a and a B-level prospect, way more. But Vegas doesn't have any anything to negotiate. They don't have any leverage because they they are three million in the hole as it is. Yeah, agreed. I understand. And then he'll he'll put you in the hole another four. So you're at seven million in the hole, and you where where are you going with that? I agree. I I totally understand. But now now it comes down to what's the so what's the trade look like? I mean, what do you, if you're if you're Vegas, okay? Mm-hmm. Do you get rid of him, and then do you do you try to offset some salary too? Do you think do you tell a team, hey, you need to take on other money? Um, I think that's an option, but are people are teams willing to take that on? Um, Gusev also has, of course, the leverage of going back to Russia. Yeah, so he does. In this situation, uh, Vegas doesn't have much of a choice. Uh, it, 
Gusev was drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2012, I think. He yeah, was, 20, yes, 2012 he was. He went undrafted twice in 2010 and 2011, and then he was drafted third-year eligible in the seventh round by Tampa Bay. His rights were then traded to Vegas um, with the expansion draft as payment for Vegas uh, picking Jason Garrison. So Tampa could keep their other players. Now, Gusev came over at the end of the KHL season, which was in April. And part of the negotiation with Vegas was to have his entry-level contract kick in immediately. Even, if, even though he did not play a single game, it took him straight to, to restricted free agency. Because he signed a one-year entry-level contract, and because it was activated immediately and not on July 1st, he's now a restricted free agent. So he gave himself the leverage. How much leverage does Gusev have to dictate where he will be traded? A lot. By, by being in this situation. A lot. And, and how much are the Rangers a candidate with, with the Russian invasion, so to speak, that we've had already? You know, we, we have, just, just, to, just to sum up, we have Georgiev, who's Russian. I now know there's some debate about him being Bulgarian, but no, he's Russian. Shestyorkin, Kravtsov. Rikov, Buchnevich, Nemesnikov, and Panarin. That's seven. We have seven Russians. Then we have Nick Bobrov in the organization who is serving as the interpreter for guys like Shesturkin. So there's, 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 there's a huge Russian presence in the organization. And I think... I, I think yeah, Gus I mean, we, we, we might as well change our symbol to the, uh, the sickle and the hammer. I know, no, just, I mean... The, the, the former, former team of Gusev, SKA, and St. Petersburg are basically playing in Ranger jerseys. Yeah, they are. If you look at their Heritage jersey, it spells Leningrad diagonally like the Rangers had New York on their oh, on really? jersey. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, wow. they, have, pretty cool. they have both a home and away one. I, have, I think I have the, the home Heritage jersey with Shestyorkin's name on, on the back with like the Leningrad, or Leningrad letters on the front. It's a really cool jersey. Interesting. Um, but Gusev, I think Gusev would would definitely have have the Rangers on his list. Um, the question is, does Gordon have the ammunition? I think he has the ammunition to make the, to make the trade work. Does he have the cap space to make the salary work? Because from reports I read, Gusev was offered two million a year for two years, and he wants four million a year for two years. So he would basically be a Kreider replacement for a little bit of a lower cap hit. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, um, the thing is, though, is can we make it work? And I've seen this debated a lot on Twitter. Can the Rangers make it work with Gusev and the rest I, of their restricted free agents? I think we can. And I spent a lot of time the last two days putting it all together. Um, they can make it work. By trading away Kreider, Strom, and Nemesnikov. And they, they could technically make it work without a buyout. Okay. Um, so all of that would give us enough room to sign over restricted free agents plus $4 million for Gusev. You could, you could have Truba for 7.75, which never is for 2.5. Lemieux and D'Angelo on their qualifying offer, as I explained earlier. And then Gusev for four million, and you could make that work. You can fit that under the cap if you trade Kreider, Strom, and Nemesnikov without taking any salary back, which is, which is definitely possible. If we look at the VC trade, it's definitely possible. Yeah. And yeah, and, I think it's I think it's more likely that someone's going to get bought out. And and what if Colorado is interested not only in Kreider but also in Nemesnikov? What if they want to really strengthen their top nine? They have the cap space to take on both. They do. They do. And I think that, in all honesty, I think that would be a if, – if I'm Colorado, the one thing that Colorado doesn't have, the Colorado, Colorado has a ton of good – a ton of really great players. They don't have depth. Like, the, their bottom nine is – I mean, their bottom six is blah at best. It's yep. pr pretty bad. Um, they're starting to get better with their middle – with their second line, but it's still not – where I'd like it to be. I think when you start adding guys like Kreider and Amestikov and you start putting some quality guys on that second line, um, you start to beefen that up and push everyone down and push those guys down to the third line. And now your third line becomes really good. Now your fourth line becomes jam-packed. 
That's how you start building a third and fourth line. Is when you start making when your when your second line is just as good as your first line, your third and fourth line become really good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, and I think Colorado is a good trading partner for the Rangers, but it all depends on what what Gordon wants. Um, I mean, does he want to go Gusev? I think I think Gusev is is a really good player. I've seen him in Russia for the last few years. I mean, the, the guy put up the second highest point total in a single KHL season ever last season. Yeah. Um, yeah. More, yeah. Yeah. You beat up the Nelson's record. Yeah. Um, I mean, he is he is just he's so good. And I think people are underestimating how good he is because he has never played in the NHL yet. And for, for all the talk there is about, you know, adjusting to smaller ice surface, this, that, blah, blah. Yes. For younger players like like Kraftsov in this case, I think there is some some uh, there is a little bit of a challenge, but the challenge is more with the uh, with with the, the type of hockey than with the smaller ice surface because there are quite a few teams in the KHL that play on smaller rinks as well. Yeah, which... uh, I I agree with you. I, I think I think Gusev because of his age, because of the amount of time he spent in the KHL. Um, he's going to come a little more groomed than some of the kids that, that just got drafted who were 18 years old. I completely agree with you on that. Yeah. The question for me becomes, is, you know, is Gusev on, on, on the Rangers' radar? If so, how high? And if so, what is Gordon willing to do for it? Yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 that's an interesting, interesting thing to keep an eye on in the, uh, in the following weeks. Um, the, um, honestly, the boring part of offseason is upon us. Um, the draft is over. The free agency free agency frenzy on July first is over. Uh, we know which players filed for arbitration. We've seen an offer sheet, which is to me was one of the most exciting things of the offseason so far. Yeah, and speaking speaking of, I actually want to touch on that before we leave. Is these these uh, Marner offer sheet rumors? Have you seen those? Yes, um, I just don't see it happening. Uh, and if Marner is offer sheeted, I just don't see a team offer sheeting him enough for the highest compensation. Um, with with Sebastian Aho, what Bergevin did was was he he was an absolute genius, and he did exactly what I would have done. You know, you you give him an offer at at the at the exact highest number you can get before switching to the higher compensation. If he would have offered him, I think, $5 more, the compensation would have been two firsts, a second, and a third. And now the compensation was a first, a second, and a third. So basically, he forced Carolina to, you know, to, to act. And there was, an, there was a, um, a press release by Sebastian Ajo saying that he is thankful for the Montreal Canadiens for do, basically doing the negotiating for him. Because by, by giving him this offer sheet and by him signing the offer sheet and then Carolina matching it, he just he just he just prevent he just got rid of like weeks of negotiating with an agent and sitting in offices and going through numbers and potentially missing training camp. And now it's 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 July eighth and he signed. He has nothing to worry about the rest of the offseason. It's right. for a player like Aho, an offer sheet is perfect. Yeah. Speaking of uh, tracking back to Marner now, you don't think that the Islanders, let's just say, could offer him 10 and a half? I, th I think they can. I just don't think a team... They have the money to do it. They have the money to do it. I think they could do it. Of course. I just don't think a team thinks he is worth four first-round picks plus 12 million a year. If Marner switches teams, I still think it's in a trade. A team will trade for his rights, give up a pretty significant package... But not as significant as four first round picks. That's what I think. Hmm. But he can also go somewhere and then start playing this game all over again. If a team plays, uh, uh, yeah, okay. If if a team acquires his rights during the off season, of course. Yeah. Um, but if a team like like the Islanders or Colorado, if Colorado acquires the rights to Mitch Marner, they have twenty three million in cap space. They can offer him twelve point five million without without blinking. Well, blinking. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. I think the problem with with Toronto is that they they cannot offer him exactly what Marner is looking for, which is like like just below or or like let's say twelve million a year. I think he wants more than than Matthews. 
Yeah, okay. So 12 million a year or 12 yeah. If Toronto I think, can- I, I, I think 12 I think I think 12 gets it done for Marty. Yeah. So if if Toronto cannot afford that simply because they wouldn't have the cap space, then a team acquiring his rights for a pretty significant package but not as valuable as four first round picks could then offer him 12 million, maybe 12.5 million just to see, just to seal the deal. I don't think if Marner's rights are traded to another team, he's going to go through all this again. I think teams around the league have have uh, inquired about Marner, and they know exactly what Marner and his agents are looking for. Okay, so yeah, you're pretty confident the team trades from they already know his dollar amount, anyways. I just I just don't see a team giving up four first round picks in an offer sheet. I just I don't see it happening. The reason the offer sheet compensation is so insanely high is to protect the small market teams. Because the small market teams need need a way to uh, to retain the players they drafted. I know Toronto's not a small market team, but let's say Marner was drafted by Arizona or Florida or Carolina. The offer sheet compensation is in place to prevent players from just signing anywhere else when they turn 22. Yeah, no, I get the point of it. Um... Yeah, I get it. I get it. And they, and they made it such that that dollar amount really is right there where you're like, yeah, that makes sense. I don't want to give up four, four first round picks. Exactly. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it's a little bit too expensive for it to be an easy decision. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So I, 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 maybe he signs with Toronto. Maybe his rights are traded, but... It'll be an interesting offseason to see what's going to happen with Marner. But uh, for the Rangers, um, I think Gordon really has his work cut out for him. Um, like we said, with the arbitration uh, for Truba and Bucinevich, it opens a second buyout window. Um, and also, because you have two players with, a, with an arbitration case, um, the buyout window starts after the last arbitration case is settled. Oh, wow. So it gives them a little bit more time. It, it let, let's say you have one arbitration case, and that one is the first one to go to, to, go to the arbitrator and to settle. You know, it, it doesn't give you as much time as you maybe would have wanted. Having two players in arbitration gives you a little bit of a, you know, uh, a little bit more time. Right, because you, you can settle one and still figure out what you want to do. Yeah, your window will open a little bit later in this. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, all right, so gut feeling. Um, Gusev, where will he will he be a, a Vegas Knight at the end of the year? I, I mean, the end of the summer, in the year. No, the no. summer. I think you think it's one hundred percent gone, right? I think for Gusev, there are two options: um, top six, uh, sorry, original six team, or back to Russia. Okay. 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 So that 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 pretty much settles it there. Do you think that Chris? You, you said Chris Kreider has definitely played his last game as a Ranger. I think so. Yes. Where do you think he goes? Um, I still think Colorado is a team that's 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 interested in him. I could see Boston uh, offering up a first-round pick and a middling prospect. I could see that, too. Um, I'm pretty sure Kreider will not block a trade to Boston. Um, no, that, team, that team is stacked. I wouldn't block a trade to Boston. That, that team, I mean, if you get to play with Pasternak, Bergeron, Krejci, Marchand, uh, DeBrusque, I mean that that top that's six. That's a good. That's a really good team. Yeah. That's 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 a crazy top six. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I agree. I, I'd be I'd be stoked to play with that team. So I agree. Yeah. Um, I, and and you are from New York. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So what about Vladdy? Where is he gonna go? I still think Edmonton. Hmm. Okay. And do you think that Smith gets bought out, buried, or is he? Um, I think I think he gets bought out. And I think Strom will be traded as well. Okay. Right. Because Fair enough. here's the thing with Ryan Strom. Yes, he had a good season. Yes, he scored 18 goals. But he did have a shooting percentage of 22.5. Hey, I've been on that train for a long time. I, I, there are so many people on social media that fight with me about Ryan Strom. And I like Ryan. So let me just get this flat. I like Ryan Strom. I think the trade firm was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, his shooting percentage is through the roof. Where if a team comes out and says, I'll give you an absurd amount of stuff for him, I'm like, yeah, I'm getting rid of him right away. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I have no, he's, he, he's one of those things where I almost put him in, a, I put him a little bit higher value than I put a Jimmy VC. What I mean mm-hmm. by that is Jimmy VC to me, it, a nice player to have. 
but if you give me something I'd like or I need to shed some salary, I have no problem moving him. Same yeah. thing with Ryan Strom. The only difference with Ryan Strom is that I think that he's someone that um, I think I could extract a little bit more from a team from. So to me, he's a little bit higher of a pecking order in terms of I've asked for a little bit more from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but same thing. You give me an absurd package, no problem. I'll ship him off. You, yeah. No one wants to give me anything for him because they're, they're, they think, like I think, that his shooting percentage is going to come back down to earth. No problem. I'll keep him, and I'll just put him on my third or fourth line, and I'll be fine with that. So um, we, just, we just touched on it. Uh, Strom had a shooting percentage with the Rangers of 22.5. Uh, who 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 do you think is the best goal scorer in the last decade in the NHL? In terms of shooting percentage, best pure goal scorer in the NHL last decade. Oof, that's a good question. Come, this uh, that can only that can be only one. I'd probably say Ovechkin. Ovechkin, exactly. Yeah. Do you know Do you know what his his highest shooting percentage in a in a single season was? Twelve. Five fifteen point one. Oh, jeez. Do you know when that was? Uh, probably early in his career, I would say. No, this past season, 2018. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Yes, yes. He had his high. The way you asked it, I was either going to be early in his career or like recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it shows you that his highest shooting percentage was 15.1%. Strom at 22.5. If players are, are banking on that to happen again, boy, I have some bad news for you. Yeah, there's, there's no way Ryan Strom is going to shoot 22% next year. No, no. chance. No, no chance. That's going to come back down to earth. And what, how many goals did he score last year? Uh, 18, I think, from the top, off the top mm-hmm. of my Right. So what does he come back to earth with, with you know, 10? Probably. If, if, yeah. if, his, if his shots stabilize to, let's say, 10%, he would be at 8 or 9 goals. With yeah, the exactly. Same, with the same amount of shots, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm saying, like, I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to trading him because I think that there are teams out there that might, you know, just go, oof, well, look at his goal total. And be like, yeah, let me grab him. And maybe they're not digging into it, you know, or maybe they're just selling high thinking that, like, he's figured it out. Like, a lot of people think he's figured it out. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there is a team or there is a GM out there that thinks, oh, Ryan Strom has finally figured it out. Let's, let's, let's see if we can get him. Right, or or they're looking at the fact that he was a you know a, a top end pick, and now he, he he figured it out. Let's just go grab him, and they're not realizing that like the data doesn't really align that way. It kind of shows that, yeah, he's just gotten real lucky. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, maybe like, almost stupid, almost stupidly yeah. lucky. Yeah. So I'm not against, like I said, I'm not against keeping him because I like his game. But if you offer me something decent, I there's no, there's, I I definitely get rid of him. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, one last thing about Ovechkin, since I'm looking at his stats page anyway. Uh, 658 goals in his career, regular season goals. Jeez, that's crazy. Do you think he has a chance to beat Gretzky's record? No. No? No. 100% sure? Yeah. Okay. Dude, I mean, he'd he'd have to play a lot longer. Oh, he probably needs like five or six more years, but... Yeah, I, I don't see him playing that much more. If there's one person who, who could do it, it's probably Ovechkin. Well, I, I would have said the same thing about Yarmir Yager, but you know, when he played all those years over in Europe, so he, he, um, he, he would he would still need to. I think let, let me check. He has 894, uh, 658. So let's say 230 goals still. That's a lot, dude. That's a lot. If he scores an average of 40. He needs to play six more years. <laughs> That's a lot, dude. Forty goals for six years is crazy. He's thirty-four. If he plays until forty, um, I don't, just don't see it, dude. I don't see it, man. I I don't. That's that's asking a ton. You know what? We'll we'll revisit this in twenty twenty-five. <laughs> you know, you know, we could. You know what? Let's give him if he does if he scores another fifty goals for two more years. And yeah. he's at like a hundred and change. I think we can ask this question again because then it's be and it's like, oh, okay, right. you're. Yeah, you know, I just depend. He, has, I, I think he needs like one or two seasons where he really like scored like fifty something goals to really, you know what I mean? Like early on where he can grind the next couple. Yeah, and maybe. But it's it's tough, dude. I mean, those like the the one person I thought that might crack that record was Yager, and he didn't. No, but Yager spent like six, seven years either in Europe or waiting for the lockout to end. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, unfo- it's not uh, due to unforeseen circumstances. I'm saying. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, it's just not, you know, he played in, he played over in Europe and then the lockout. lockout. So there's a bunch of things that kind of hindered, hindered it. Like, but I just thought that that was one guy that always was able to keep himself healthy. He got the older, he got the stronger and better he got, as crazy as it was for Yager. So, um, he's one guy I thought could, could break that record. Oh yeah. I mean, and, you know, I, I, Ever since I was a kid, I was fascinated by Jaromir Jagr because even here in Europe, the people who didn't watch hockey knew his name. There were two players that people knew when they didn't watch hockey. It was Wayne Gretzky and Jaromir Jagr. In, bas- in basketball, it was Michael Jordan. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Michael Jordan is the only, the only player people know when they don't watch basketball. In football, it was Joe Montana. Yeah, well, well maybe with Capo Caco, we got to run Jaromir Jagr. And- Actually, in football, it was also O.J. Simpson, but most people didn't realize he was a football player. Um, oh, they just know him because of the, the trial thing, right? No, because he was an actor. Oh, wow, you know, the, crazy. The, the Naked Gun movie he was in, you know, he was actually an actor before the whole... Oh, yeah, no, I know. I, I love the Naked Gun movies. They're, they're hilarious. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jager was, was a legend here in Europe, and I'm so happy that uh, uh, last year I finally got to see him play for the first time. That's pretty cool. I went to Klotno, which is about 20 minutes west of Prague. I went to Prague for the weekend with a, with a friend, and we decided to go to a game, a Klotno game. Klotno game. And um, we, we, we sit down for the game, and the game starts, first shift, Jager on the ice, gets banged into the boards, and he leaves the game with a concussion. I saw him play for 20, I saw him play for 20 seconds. <laughs> Oh, it sucks, man. <laughs> but I got to see Yager play, so that sucks. And funny story, that's actually the team that he uh, that he's uh, that he owns. He's the owner of the team. How old, how old was he? How old was he? Uh, well, he was born in '72, so 46. Sheesh, man. Yeah, man. But he's a mach- he's a machine. He is. He is. I I, I still remember the. Uh, the Twitter videos of him in the gym at 1 a.m. when he was playing with the Florida Panthers. That's so crazy. He was hitting the gym after midnight. That's... But th- th- this, is, this is the only way you can have a 25-year career in hockey. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the guy, that, the guy has no idea what stop means. So yeah. He's an, he's, yeah. An absolute, he's an absolute animal. But he's, he's uh, a leg- if, if, he's ever, is he, if he is ever running for president in, in the Czech Republic, he will win by a landslide. That's so crazy. That's kind of awesome, actually. <laughs> yeah. So. Anything right, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff today. Good stuff today, man. Anything else you want to bring up before we uh, end it? No, nah, I, I, I think I think we've covered everything. Um, let's just you know let's wrap this up and let's just see what happens over the next couple of weeks with uh, with the Rangers. You know, keep an eye on Gusev. Keep an eye on the restricted free agents. Keep an eye on. I think I think there might be some buyouts. I think there might be some trades. So Gorton is no, he's not done with this roster assemble. I can promise you that. Yeah. Yeah, and it'll be an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, I don't see a lot of a lot happening in the next two, three weeks. Maybe when uh, the arbitration cases are nearing its conclusion, uh, when when teams and GMs know how much they are paying for their restricted free agents, you could see some more trades by then. But that's possible. That's possible. But at the same time with Gusev, it's tricky because you know he could basically give give the teams an ultimate ultimatum. You know, if I'm not signed by this and this date, I'm going back to Russia. I didn't think about that. That's, That's a good point. I mean, he hasn't played a single game in, in, in the NHL yet. He came over from Russia to make it work. If teams don't want him or if, if teams cannot figure it out on time and if, 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 if they drag it into September where he's missing training camp, I could, I could probably see him going back to Russia. I, I, wouldn't put it, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Let's put it that way. And how much would he make in Russia, you think? Um, I think, if I remember correctly, the top salaries in Russia are four or five million a year. Could he make that in Russia? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a superstar, man. He's a, in Russia. He's a superstar. He had eighty-two points, and I think fifty-six games this past season. He Dang. he he won that race by a landslide in points. He was he was far and away the best player when he played for Russia in the World Championships. He was far and away the best player, and that was a team with Kucherov, Ovechkin, Malkin, Kaprizov, uh, um, uh, Kovalchuk, uh, Kuznetsov was playing on that team. He was far and away the best player. It's unbelievable how good he was. Yeah, I, hey, 
uh, I'm all on the Gusev train. We got to we 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 got we we, we got to reach out to Gortz, man. That's what we got. Yeah, say. yeah. I mean, if we sign him, Sam Rosen, he's going to have a hard time again, man, because I can already hear the uh, I can already hear him explaining to uh, to Joe Micheletti that those aren't boos you hear. Those are goos. Those are goos. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Sam. Sam, Sam! Sam is such a legend. Oh, I know, I know. This is never. Really the, is. We Sam will. Is al- bro- Sam is brilliant. He's a legend. We will always end up with a player, or we can make that joke. Yeah, we will. All right, good stuff today. Uh, let's wrap this up and let's right. speak soon. All right, man. I'll talk Take to care. you.